I think uh, the question of heaven is something that a lot of people ask. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, and we think uh, maybe it is uh, unicorns and ponies and floating in the air. Maybe it's marshmallows, all those things. And we believe really in our culture that there's a lot about heaven that's not really discussed. And uh, it leaves a lot there to be discussed and to think about. But really, if you're a Christian, the Bible doesn't uh, just give you a little bit of information. It is one of the most talked about subjects in all the scriptures. Matter of fact, Heaven is mentioned over 550 times in the scriptures. And so as we look at this series, uh, we're going to be addressing the subject of heaven. And if you look at heaven, uh, Paul said something interesting in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.12, I believe. uh, Or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2.12. And he talked about that he was caught up to the third heaven. And oftentimes people wonder, well, like, is there, are there three levels of heaven, so to say? And really what I want you to understand is that when you talk about heaven, there was never a word in the Hebrew for heaven. And so they described the heavens uh, in several different ways. And so the very first heaven that really is discussed in the Bible, and you see it often, is what we would refer to as the atmosphere. It's the sky. It's the, the rain. Matter of fact, uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 68, verse 8, he shook the earth, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai before God, the God of Israel. Psalm 77, 17, uh, just a handful of chapters over, says the clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder. And so you have this first level of heaven, which is the air that you breathe. It's literally uh, the, the atmosphere, and that's the heavens, oftentimes, that they refer to as dropping rain uh, in the Hebrews. Uh, Then there's this other heaven, and the the second heaven is something that we see that occurs in Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And if you remember, it was on the fourth day that God created an expanse, and then not only that, He also created and governed. There was a bright light for the day, and there was a lesser light for the evening, and then there were stars that were cast, and then we know now that there are planets and galaxies, and it's space, and that is literally the second heaven. But guess what? The third heaven goes far beyond that, doesn't it? I mean, it keeps going and going and going, and all through the Scriptures we see that the heavens are up. And so you don't have to wonder, okay, are, are heavens down, or are they you know, out you know, somewhere far out in the west? No, the heavens are up. And so we know that it's beyond our atmosphere, the air that we breathe. It's beyond our planetary system. It's beyond the moon and the stars. Uh, it's beyond all of that. And so it is above all of that. And that is the heaven that we're going to be talking about. It's the third heaven that Paul addresses. It's the heaven where God's dwelling place is. Amen? And so that's what we're looking at. We're not going to be looking at uh, atmospheric pressure. We're not going to be looking uh, over the course of the next few weeks about weather patterns or anything like that. We're going to be looking at heaven, the place where God dwells, the place where His holiness is. And uh, that is His house. That is what the Bible says for us, several things. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 20, it says that our name is written in the heavens. Literally, that you have a title deed, that there is a property for you being kept in heaven. First uh, Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5 says that our inheritance is in heaven and it's being kept for you, right? It's an inheritance that never spoils and it never fades away. So like you now, uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you not only have a title deed to a piece of property in heaven, but it's being kept for you forever, for all of eternity. 
that's awesome. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool. Uh, Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven, that that is where your home is, that you and I are aliens and strangers in this world. You remember, uh, oftentimes, Paul would refer to us as aliens and strangers in this world. The reason why is because your citizenship is now in heaven. That is your home. That is where your heart should be prone towards. That's where you should be submitting yourself to is heaven. Uh, matter of fact, uh, if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, that your reward is in heaven, that that is what we're looking for. Uh, Paul says our righteousness is in heaven. Ephesians 6, 9, uh, Paul says our master is in heaven. Yes? Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says that our treasure is is in heaven. And so like you look at all this and you go, okay, our inheritance is there, our reward is there, our righteousness is there. You see all of these things. Our citizenship is there, our name is written there, it's in the Lamb's Book of Life, which will one day be opened. Like, why is it oftentimes that we we often say things like this, like, Lord, I, I, that's great, and I, I want to go to heaven. Like all of us want to go to heaven, right? But haven't you, I mean, haven't you at one point in time in your life said, but like, don't take me too early. Like, don't take me too early. I, I want to stay here. I want to, I'm like, I've never been to Hawaii. You know, I would like to go to Hawaii. Um, you know, uh, the Bahamas would be fantastic. You know, Maui would be great. I mean, you know, I've never even been to New York. And so, Lord, like, like let me, let me go to Chinatown before I go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? And like we say things like that, like we're like, Lord, let me just, you know, see my kids grow up. Let me see my grandkids grow up. Lord, let me just have this and this and this and this and this. And then one day, Lord, I, I would love to be there, but it really should be flipped. Like literally, if that is where your name is written, that is where your citizenship is found. That's where your reward is. That's where your inheritance is. That is not only all of those things, but isn't that where our Lord and Jesus Christ, what he dwells? It's his permanent dwelling place. That is where uh, it is his home. It is where he, it's his backyard. Isn't that where we would want to be? And yet so many times we're like, Lord, that sounds great. But let me just kind of finish out what I've got here. Lord, let me just have a few more days. I know that they're numbered here, but let me enjoy this. Let me live it up. And we almost present it as if heaven is something that we should wait for instead of something that we should long for and long to be there now. And so that's really going to be something that we address in this, this series. But as we walk through this, we're also going to answer a lot of questions. I mean, don't you have a lot of questions about heaven? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, will I be able to fly? I mean, isn't that an awesome question? I'm like, am I, like, am I really, am I going to turn into an angel? Like, I mean, Clarence said that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Like, do we turn into the angelic realm? Do we turn into angels? I mean, think about it like this. I mean, what will I do in heaven? Like, if heaven exists for all of eternity, like, won't I get bored? I mean, won't, like, won't I run out of things to do? I mean, if I'm in heaven, will I be married? Like, will, like, will my spouse, will, will they be married to me? Because I'm like, I already, I'm already feeling sorry for Kelly. Like, if she's not going to be married to me, I'm like, what is she going to do for all of eternity, you know? I mean... And so, like, that's a question. Like, are, are, is there going to be male and female? Is there going to be reproduction? Are there going to be kids uh, made in heaven? So, is there going to be sex in heaven? That's going to be a question that we're going to address. And we're going to look at that. I mean, here's the one that I'm wondering like, how old am I going to be? You know, like, am, 
Am I, am I going to be, you know, like the younger version of myself? Am I going to be in my prime? Or if I get older, am I going to be some old man? Will you even be able to recognize me? I mean, are we just spirits? Like, are we just floating out in the abyss in the midst of this incredible cloud mist type look? I mean, you know, what are we? Like, here's one of my ultimate questions. Will we be able to eat? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, will there be food? Like, and here's the question I have, like, I'm really pondering right now. Will there be bluebell? You know what I'm saying? And not the tainted kind, not the recall kind. I'm talking about, like, will it be made in heaven perfect for us, you know? Like, will there be a fountain of chocolate, you know, that we can, like, just go and dip our fruit in? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, so, like, these are all questions, and there's a hundred other ones that we're going to address. But today, what we're going to start out with is we're going to address the actual place of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. As we work through this series, we're going to look at the king of heaven, Who's, who is it that we're worshiping? What is it that he looks like? And, and what is it that we're going to enjoy in the relationship we have to him? We're going to look at the inhabitants. We're the inhabitants. And so what are we going to do? What are we going to look like? We're going to answer a few of those questions as we work through this process, but we're going to look at those in depth. And so this series is going to be fun. It's going to be uh, filled with lots of information, and I encourage you to come. Matter of fact, uh, if you've got a pen or a pencil, I encourage you to grab it now and uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter. Now, I brought a pen up here because I'd love to throw one out to you today in case you don't have one, right? Anybody need a pen? Everybody got one? You're not going to trust me. Okay, well, grab your pen. Parents, do me a favor, and if you have your Bible, grab you a pen and mark it up. And you're like, oh, no, 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 not mark up my Bible. No, mark up your Bible so that one day you can give it to your kids and they have some information about heaven. What a fantastic idea. And so mark it up as we begin to work through this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible today, we're going to put it for you up on the screen, but we'd love to give you one as you leave today at our resource counter, which is out in the foyer on the right. Feel free to stop by there. Just say uh, they mentioned that we could have a Bible, and we'd love to get you a free one, uh, one that you're proud of. It says in verse 1, For we know <coughs> that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house, where? In heaven, not built by human hands. So Paul believes that we right now reside in what? An earthly tent, meaning that the body, that's a mortal body we possess right now, is going to what? Come to an end. Do you agree with that? Statistics say right now that 100% of all people die. I've not seen a resurrection in my lifetime. I've not seen anyone. There was one lady that just this last week, there was an article about her, and uh, they had just published like the week before that she was the oldest woman in America at 116 years of age, and like two days later, she died. And so you have this published column, and now you have a lady having a funeral. And so we're all going to die. Paul says... That's normal. Matter of fact, he says it's an earthly tent that's going to be destroyed, meaning it's a temporary structure. This is not your home. This is not where your heart should be set towards, although oftentimes we position it this way. But Paul says, no, you should desire to have a building, a permanent dwelling, a permanent structure from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands, meaning that just as he created you, fearfully and wonderfully made, 
as your birth, He is going to recreate you fearfully and wonderfully made, and He's going to give you an eternal dwelling that never perishes. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Yes, it does to me. Matter of fact, Paul goes on, he says, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Like, we groan. Like, why do we groan? Because we're getting old, you know? Like, with each passing day, every single one of us gets older, right? Some of you feel it more than others. But every single day, you get older. Matter of fact, Paul says, as we do that, we groan because this body breaks down. We long for our heavenly dwelling. It's the same idea in Philippians 1. If you remember, Paul, at, when we went through the Philippians series, he says, I am doing this ministry here on earth. And he said, and it's great. But he says what? I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So he says, while I'm here, I want to be useful. I want to be doing ministry. But he said, that's not where my heart is. He said, if I could leave here in an instant and be with Christ, he goes, that's what I would rather do. He says, that is better by far. But what's interesting is, is that that's not really the attitude in the Christian church. The attitude in the Christian church really is. I don't really want that yet. That sounds great and it sounds fantastic. But I, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Where Paul says, no, I can't wait. I long for that. Then he goes on in verse 3. He says, because we're being clothed, we will not be found naked. Do you see that? Like, you don't laugh at that? Like, I mean, look at that. I mean, it says, and because of this, we, because we are clothed, we're not going to be found naked. And I'm like, awesome, okay. I mean, so, that, I mean, there you go. That answers the question. Will I just be naked in heaven? Absolutely not. You're going to be clothed. What does that look like? I don't know exactly what it looks like. But here's what I do know. What Paul is saying is that you're not some disembodied spirit. You are not simply floating out in the midst. You're not in uh, this clouds floating in the abyss. You're not shooting uh, like a little cupid arrows at each other. No, you have some sort of a structure, okay? Now, what we know is, is that in Revelation, as you see the new heaven and the new earth, you have a new glorified body. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a few minutes. But right now, like if you were to die, what would, what would happen right now? We know that Paul says you're not just some disembodied spirit floating out. You get a picture in Revelation 7 and Revelation 8 that the saints of old right now are actually clothed with a robe. Meaning that, there's, that they have a robe on and that there's, there's some sort. I can't wrap my mind around it. I, I don't know exactly what it looks like. But I do know this. We're, we're not just a figment of imagination floating out there. It's not some state of mind. It literally is some sort of body that we're being clothed in. And, and we'll talk more about it as we kind of work on. Then in verse 4 it says, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are what? Burdened. Anybody agree? Like, listen, like, think about this. This is what Paul is saying. He says, as long as you live in this body, as long as you're here in this, this tent, this temporary dwelling, he says, life is hard and we groan. Like, for, for you and I, like, I'm 34 and this morning I got out of bed and I felt like I was 84. I'm like, and every morning it feels like it gets worse. I'm like, I literally start out like this, and then I begin to work myself up. And by 10 o'clock, I'm standing upright, you know? 
and I'm walking, but every morning I'm reminded that I'm not getting any younger. I'm not any healthier. Uh, I'm not any... I'm not any better looking, you know what I mean? Like, my prime has come and is gone, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm thinking I'm probably not going to be 34, okay, in heaven, because it feels like my prime is here. Like, there's some of you that you're 54, you're, you're 64, you're 74, and, and you feel it worse than I do. But it's not just like just your physical body that's giving out. Like, just think about this. In this earth, we have disease, we have sickness, and there's many of you that right now, not only are you working through it personally, but you know someone very close to you. You've lost people that you've loved. There's been hurt. There's been pain. There's wars and there's rumors of wars. You look on the TV and you often ask, why is all this happening? Why has why this world seemed to be getting worse? And Paul's answering the question here. He says, look, this is not your home. And while we live here, we suffer here. And while we live here, we groan here. And as we groan here, what? We should be longing for a permanent dwelling place. Like, in a sense, there's many of us that we think if we could just take off all, take off all the evil people out of this world, and if we could, you know, just you know, eliminate disease and sickness, and if it, wouldn't this world be such a better place? Well, listen to me. This world is not supposed to be a better place because God doesn't want you falling in love with this world. He wants you to position your heart for the world to come, the heaven to come. And God knows, and He clearly warns us, that if we love this world, we're at enmity with God. Meaning, you can't have both. You can't position your heart here and want to have fun and make this your playground and also expect that eternity will be set on your heart. He says, no, it, it's literally this. He says, you ought to be longing for what? The new heaven, for the opportunity to, to live with the Lord. And he says, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Meaning, death is swallowed up in victory. Did Jesus Christ do that for you? Yes, that's what we celebrated just last week, that death is swallowed in victory. And so that you and I no longer are bound by the pains and the aches and the hurts of this world, but that we can long for our heavenly dwelling. That's why we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we believe in his death. That's why we believe in his resurrection. That's why we believe in his return. Why? Because we believe he's not going to leave us in this place. Yes? In verse 5, it says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit's his deposit, guaranteeing us what is to come. Do you, you remember the Take a Vow series? Do you, y'all remember that? And, and you remember we, we kind of gave you this picture of the Jewish culture and what it meant to have a wedding feast. And, and we see that our relationship to Jesus Christ is very similar. That literally what God has done is he has offered us an engagement it's, a, it's called betrothal in the Jewish custom, that he wants to enter in into this, uh, this relationship with us. It's this engagement process. And that if we'll accept it, there was a payment that was made, right? Jesus on the cross. Look what Paul does here. He says, now the one who has fashioned us for the very purpose is God, who has given us the spirits to deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In Ephesians, he gives the same picture, but he uses the word literally that he has given us, in a sense, an engagement ring. 
Meaning that God has given you a deposit now. What? A title deed to heaven. Meaning, I'm not going to leave you here. Do you get that? Like, that's the greatest thing. Like, in the betrothal period, he offers a relationship with his son Jesus. You accept. He goes, in that moment, I give you an engagement ring. And an engagement ring tells somebody what? You're going to be my bride. And I'm going to bring you into my home. And I'm going to care for you. And I'm going to nurture you. And I'm going to provide for you. And that's what Paul says right here. He says, the Lord has, has guaranteed us through the deposit of his spirit of what is to come. Our hearts should be longing for heaven because of what God is doing for us now. In verse 6, it says, Therefore, we are always confident. And, as, and no, as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Like we hold out hope, don't we? Like no matter how bad it gets now, no matter how many tragedies that you face, no, many, no matter how many mornings you get up and you cry yourself to work, no matter how many nights you cry yourself to sleep, you hold out hope and you press on. Why? Because you know how it ends. And you believe that the Lord is going to do as He says that He's going to do. Now, if you don't have that hope, we need to talk about that hope for you. Because if you are wondering, is this really all true? Is this really all going to happen? Is it really all going to play out? Then that means you are carrying around a weight on your shoulders of hopelessness. And you don't know. Like there's no peace in your life. There's no reassurance in your life. And as you work through these things, you oftentimes mourn as one who has no hope. When you lose someone you love, or will you experience pain and tragedy, hurt and heartache? When you see wars and rumors of wars, when you see disease and affliction and world hunger, when you see prostitution and when you see sex child uh, trading, you see all of those things, your heart breaks. When you see tsunamis that literally crush our planet, when you see earthquakes and tornadoes that rip across uh, towns and villages, your heart aches. What is it that keeps you from just caving under the pressure? It's the hope that you believe that the Lord is going to do as he does. And that in the end, he is going to be true to what he says. And that's what Paul says. He says, we hold out hope because we know how it ends. And then in verse 8, he says, and we are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Do you see that? Do you see that? And so, like, what do we know? Like, he says, and we are confident, I say, that we would prefer to be away, like to depart. Uh, he gives the idea in 2 Timothy, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering at the time of my departure is near. And he uses this picture uh, in the Greek that literally he, my, the time of my departure is near. And what does he do? He says, I untie my cell. And I, I, I literally sell out to sea. And I am untying. I am no longer going to be bound to this particular place. And like if you're on that shore, you're watching and you look and you watch that ship, right? And it just travels out to sea. And the more it travels, the smaller it gets, right? And then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you go, oh my goodness, they disappeared. Where do they go? Will I ever see them again? But yet on the other shore, what? There's this appearance of a ship. And it just keeps getting larger and larger and larger and larger. And that's what Paul says. He says, I've been poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. He says, I've run the race. I've stayed the course. I've fought the good fight. What? I finished the race. Like, I mean, he says, I have done all I was going to do. 
And the cool thing is, is he says, and as soon as I leave this life, he says, I am present with the Lord. Do you got that? Like, like do you understand that? Like, do y'all, y'all get this? Like, I mean, think about this. The first heaven is the atmosphere, which blows my mind. The second heaven is space, which blows my mind. And then heaven is all the way past Uranus, right? Not Uranus, Uranus, you know what I mean? And like, it is so far out there that like you wonder how fast would I have to travel? It's far faster than the speed of light. And, and Paul tells us that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, that literally in a moment's like flash in the twinkle of an eye, like we have left this body and we're present with the Lord in his dwelling place? Yes. Isn't that fantastic? He says, and that's what happens. We untie. And so then the question goes, okay, so that happens. Like, so where are we? Like, what does that look like? Because <clears throat> I'm not sure if you're aware of it. I don't think that a lot of Christians are. It's not discussed a whole lot. This whole idea of uh, heaven and uh, the, the bibliology that really produces the ideas of teaching about heaven, it's not talked about very often. And so it's not uncommon that you'll get a preacher and he'll be up there talking at a funeral. And he's up there talking, and, and then, of course, he's talking about the golden streets, and he's talking about the crystal sea, and he's talking about all of these things that your, your family is now experiencing. And then you wonder, well, okay, is that happening? Because you have gone, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. But I want you to understand that we have a book called Revelation, which we know how it ends. Have we gotten to the book of Revelation yet? No, we have not. And so the new heavens and the new earth that's going to be ushered in, which we're going to see in a little while, has not happened yet. And so the question is, well, where do people go now? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, it's very clear that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And so we know that heaven is up somewhere, but we also know that it's not the new final heaven that so many people talk about. Like it's not the new Jerusalem yet. It is not the heaven coming to earth yet. It's not that. And so what is it? Like, so, well, I'm glad you asked, okay? Because some of you are like, oh my gosh, I never knew this. And that's okay. It's okay to be 70 years old and nobody's ever taught you this, okay? You're going to learn now. So what is it? What, do you remember um, a couple of things? Uh, if you remember uh, Luke chapter 23, Jesus is speaking to the thief on the cross and there was one of them who scorns him and shames him and then there's another one who believes in him and Jesus turns to him and he says, brother, you will be with me today in... Did he say, did he say next week? Did he say next year? Did he say, hey, one day when I come back? What did he say? Today in paradise. He said, so... You'll be with me today in paradise. You see a previous conversation, and you only get one picture of this, only one gospel narrative, and it's Luke that gives it to you in Luke chapter 16. And you see a rich man and a conversation going on between this peasant guy who had leprosy, and his name was Lazarus. And you see this conversation after both of them had departed from their body, and it's very apparent that uh, this rich man did not know Jesus Christ and did not believe in the cause, did not have faith in God, and he is in a place... Uh, that you might call Hades or hell or whatever. And then you've got this other one, and it's referred to in the text in Luke chapter 16. I encourage you to read it yourself as Abraham's bosom. You see that Abraham's bosom is a place where this guy go, is, 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 and he's there. And then the rich man looks at him and he says, can, can I, how do I get there? And he, he described what he was experiencing as a place of torment. 
and that, he, that it was not enjoyable, that he longed to be in Abraham's bosom where Lazarus, this guy who he had nothing to do with on earth, was there. And then he said, no, you can't come here. And then so he said, well, how do I go back? Can I please go back and at least warn my family? Let me tell them about what's to come. Let me tell them about the pain that I'm experiencing. And it was said to him, no, you can't do that. You, you've made your choice. There is no return they need to listen to Moses and the prophets, meaning that they have the word of God. And then the thought was this, but if there was a dead person that rised and people saw him, then surely they would believe. And the thing is this, it's not about whether or not you see someone that you loved rise and come back because I know of one who is resurrected and many have not believed. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the one that what we should be longing for. And so the question is, is, okay, Abraham's bosom, is that different than paradise? Is paradise different than heaven? No, I believe they're all synonymous, one and the same. Abraham's bosom, heaven, paradise, all of them are heaven. And it is the place where what? You depart this life and you are present with the Lord immediately. I also know that from the scripture and what you see that it teaches is that there's, there's no sin there. You cannot have sin and the righteousness of God. We know that heaven is designed as a place of reward and citizenship now, although it's not the new heaven and the new earth. It's not everything that we oftentimes dream of and think of, and it's not all the things that John spoke of. That's to come. What do we also know? We know that Hades or hell is a place of torment and persecution. We know it's darkness, and we know that what? There's no life there, but it's simply a picture of death. And so is that happening now? Yes, it is. So I hope that helps you a little bit. If you have questions, I'll be at the Resource Center. I'd love to talk a little bit more here in just a little while. But look what he does. He goes on and he says, So we make it our goal, verse 9, to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Meaning, what, until what we depart and be with Christ, what is our aim? Like, what should be our goal? Our goal should be what? To please Jesus Christ with our lives. Can you please Jesus Christ and have your heart and your mind all positioned right here on earth? No, you can't. And so our prayer as people should be, look, Lord, prepare my heart. Keep my eyes fixed upon the author and the perfecter of Jesus Christ. As Dick said earlier, stamp eternity on my eyes and on my heart. Help me, Father, to know that what I do here on this earth will last forever. Not just temporal things, not just things that are going to eventually dissolve and what fade away, because they are. So, Lord, help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. Got it? And then he talks about reward. Matter of fact, he says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema judgment. Uh, it's the same picture of Revelation chapter nine, uh, 19, verse 8, uh, that we're all going to what be given uh, fine white linen. It's the idea in the marriage series that there's going to be a day that the Lord looks at you, he goes, hey, I'm pleased with what you've done, and he clothes us. This is not the white throne judgment that's different. There is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. And so that's not what he's talking about. And he says, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You got me? And so you, you look at all this, and you go, well, that's fantastic. And here's the cool thing. I'm not even to a lot of the meat of my message yet. Y'all ready for it? Okay. And so in the next five minutes, you're going to get a ton. You ready to start writing? 
Look what it says right here. Like, like, I don't know if you've caught this, but in verse 1, it says that heaven is what is a house in heaven. It's not built by human hands. And so obviously, there's something to it because it's a building place. Uh, that Verse 2, it says a heavenly dwelling. Verse 4 says heavenly dwelling. Verse 8 says that you're home with the Lord. Um, and so the question is this. Is like this an actual place or a state of mind? Heaven is an actual place place. Do you understand this? You remember John 14? Jesus says, if I go and prepare a, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you what? Unto myself. That where I go, what? You may be also. So he says, I'm not going to leave you here. I am, I am designing a place for you. And so he says, it's not just some state of mind. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus prays, and what does he say? My Father who art and he goes, it's a place. It's not just a state of mind. And the, the crazy thing is there's this idea that, that Plato began, and it's called platonic thought. And platonic thought is simply this, is that there is a physical rim and there's a metaphysical rim. And I agree with that. But here's the deal. He says that physical matter is this. He says there's physical matter, and he says here, he says it exists, and it's tangible, and you can touch it. But he says, what you have here is actually a broken down state, that it's going to fade away, that one day this platform right here is going to dissolve. It's going to rust and it's going to destroy. And so he believes that because this is the imperfect, that it cannot, what, be uh, the exact same replica in the metaphysical, meaning that the metaphysical, is it's there, that this podium exists in a metaphysical or in a spiritual realm, but that you, you can't touch it, that it's not tangible, that you... You can never use it in that way. And so basically, it's a state of mind. What you thought it up to be, it exists in the metaphysical. And that's Platonic thought. What happened with Platonic thought and Plato's theory is that it actually caught wind in the church in the first and second century. Paul is writing to this group in the Corinthian church, uh, in several churches, and there was an idea and a notion called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a very similar thing as Platonic thought. What they believed is that you and I physically were evil and corrupt, that all matter was physical and evil and corrupt. And so therefore, if you are evil and corrupt and you are physical and everything else is, that it could never exist in the metaphysical realm. Meaning that you and I would have to be spirits of some sort, that you and I could never ever have a heavenly dwelling place in which we have a new resurrected body because what? We would be physical, and they didn't think that could happen. And so Paul is, uh, is really addressing this heresy, a guy named Origen. He eventually grabbed thought of this as well. But here's what I want you to know. Heaven is not some philosophical idea. It is not some state of mind. It is not some ethereal place. It is a tangible, real place. It is corporeal. It is touchable. It is tangible. You will see Jesus face to face. You will touch him. You will dine with him. You will eat with him. And I'll talk more about that in the inhabitant uh, area that we talk about in a few weeks. But the bottom line is, is heaven's a place and it's real. You got me? If it is in, indeed real, what would it look like? Well, the, here's what we know. It's going to be glorious. So what does that mean? If it's glorious, it means that you and I will be recreated. And not only will we be recreated, but one day this earth will have to be recreated. Why? Because it's, it's broken, right? Do, do you understand that this earth is broken? Yes. And so one day it has to be created. 
It means that you and I will have a new glorified body. Until then, we're going to be clothed in some way, some splendor, some righteousness, a robe of perfection until the new glorified state. It means that God will reign in all of his sovereignty. Is God not bigger than you and I can understand? Like not only does he fill up the heavens, but he's beyond that. Like he is in all places at all times. He is here with us now. Yes. And so his kingdom is going to be full of his presence. It's going to be an incredible thing. The other thing is that, that, that heaven is the final culmination of all of his purposes. Like the new heaven and the new earth cannot come until everything else has happened. And so let me just kind of give you a quick rundown. If you remember the Daniel series, we are coming to the point where this, or this earth is breaking down. And there are signs that are pointing to what I believe a biblical second coming. I, you can't put your finger on it. You'll never know the day or the hour. Jesus doesn't even know the day or the hour. He says, it's appointed when the Father says it is. But the bottom line is, is that everything is breaking down and there is going to be a return of Jesus Christ. And when the return of Jesus Christ happens, it's called the rapture of the church. The church will be raptured out. I believe the Holy Spirit goes with it. The dead in Christ will rise, is what Paul says. And what? When the dead in Christ rise, guess what? They get their new glorified bodies. It's going to be a fantastic thing. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm looking forward to it. And then from there, you're going to have what? You're going to have a seven-year period of tribulation. It's going to be a place where we don't want to be a part of. It's going to be a place where uh, God begins to bring out his final punishment and the culmination of all that's happened on Israel. And he's going to bend them towards him. And he is going to take a rod and he's going to break it over their back. And he's going to position them. And then after the seven-year tribulation, all that happens there, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign. And after the thousand-year millennial reign, you're going to have the usher in of the new heaven and the new earth, and it's going to be fantastic. And when you have a heaven return, when you have that, then guess what? You have a return to something that happened in the beginning, and it's called the Edenic Covenant. You remember the Garden of Eden, hence the Edenic Covenant? Do you know what happened? God created man, and man was what? Positioned towards him, created in his image, meant to have a what? Vice regent, co-regent relationship with God. We were to look over all the earth. You remember Adam. He got to what? Name the fishes of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals, the livestock, all the things. He gave them names. And he was to what? Be over them. They were subject to him. It was a fantastic, glorious relationship. They were in the presence of the Lord until they did something that God said not to do, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when that happened, the curse of sin came. And guess what? Our bodies began to fade away. We experienced death and sickness and calamity, wars and bloodshed. When you see Cain and Abel happened right off the bat, you saw hatred and you saw vengeance and you saw bitterness and you saw all the things that we wish this world did not possess. And guess what? In the Edenic state, in the Garden of Eden, they didn't possess those things until after the fall. But guess what? Jesus Christ has come to take what has fallen and redeem it so that one day we could what? Be repurposed, recreated, and remade into the original shape and form of the first Adam. The first Adam who what? Was cursed by the tree so that Jesus would be cursed on the tree for you so that you would experience the new tree, which is what? In heaven, the tree of life, which you see in Revelation chapter 21, 22. And so all of that happens and all of that occurs. And Why? You see it time and time again. Second Peter says, so that there will be no more sin, that you'll embellish the righteousness. And in Second Peter chapter 10, verses 13, it says, the day is going to come like the thief of the night. The heavens are going to disappear with a roar. The elements of this earth are going to be destroyed. Everything in it will be laid bare. 
And he says Jesus is going to take care of all of it. Uh, Verse 11 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day that will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's coming. Not only that, you're going to have no recollection, no memory of the sin and the rebellion that you and I experienced. Isn't that going to be fantastic? That as you look the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ, you're going to go, wow. And you're going to have no recollection, as Isaiah says, of your what? Your past. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine that. What would that look like? To be standing in the glorious presence of a holy God and not have a recollection of all that you had betrayed him on. And then in Revelation 21, you see it, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepares a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Did you catch that? There's no longer any sea. What? No longer you see. What does that matter? The Jewish people saw the sea as a devastating place, and they saw it as evil. Matter of fact, think of all the people who have died and are at the bottom of the sea. Think about all the things, all the creatures of the sea that you and I look at and we go, oh. The sea is not only kind of a picture of a dark place, but you know what the sea also is? It takes up 70% of our landmass. Did you know that? And then not only at 70% of the landmass, then you have things left over that you would never want to live. You know, like places like Antarctica or Lubbock or Oklahoma. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> and so like you look at it and you've got basically 10% of the whole world that you can inhabit. And outside of that, there's jungles and there's places that you and I would not want to live. But when you have a new recreated earth and a new heaven, there is no more sin. It is what? Filled with God's righteousness and holiness. There is no more recollection of sin or any of the things that you've done. There is no more sea. But now what? God and the new Jerusalem has come. And you get this picture of it. And in Revelation 21, 22, you just see it. And it's a fantastic place. It's a dwelling place created specifically for you and I. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Like matter of fact, it's the new Jerusalem, the holy city. And you look at it, and it's 12,000 stadia wide. It's as high long as it's as, as long high as it is long and is as wide. And so it ends up being around 1,400 feet, or I mean 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles tall in the New Jerusalem. And then it has this incredible uh, wall around it. And on the wall, in each of the gates, the north, the east, the south, the west, there are three gates that all comprise of what? There's 12 total gates, three on each side. And those gates are huge. There's nothing that indicates they're pearly, okay? But they're huge. And, and on those is etched the, the names of each tribe of Israel. And then there's the foundations of, of the entire wall. And the entire wall, I did my math wrong uh, for last night, but it's a little over 200 feet thick, 144 cubits. And, and there's 12 foundations all representing the 12 apostles. And they're of these precious stones and they're adorned. And you look and you see the river of life coming through there. And you see the tree of life. And, and I'm wondering, is there in the corners, like, is there the tree of knowledge, good and evil? Like, I don't want to throw us into this vicious cycle, you know, again. But no, it's not there. And the reason why is because there, hey, there is no serpent there. There is no tormentor there. There is no temptation there. It is a glorious place made for you and I to dwell for all of eternity with the Lord 
of heavens and earth. The creator who sends us back into the Edenic covenant. It's something that we should long for and purpose our hearts for. And get this, you're looking around and you're wondering, where's the temple? Where's the temple of God? Like, I want to see it. And there is no temple. And the reason why is because God and Jesus Christ are there and they are the temple. And there is no night for, uh, you, you never need night. And guess what? There is no sun in the sky because Jesus and all of his radiance lights up the entire place. And it's coming. And God's going to take this earth and he's going to recreate it and he's going to make it new. And we're going to inhabit it and we're going to be a part of the new Jerusalem, the new earth. And I don't know what all that looks like, but I can tell you this. We're not just floating out in the abyss. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Father, for the time that we've had. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see very clearly that, Lord, heaven is not just a state of mind. It's not some platonic thought. It's not Gnosticism. But, Lord, it is a place where you are creating for us even now. And, Lord, I pray that as we understand that death has been swallowed up in victory, the sting has been overcome by the cross, by the grave, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing to fear, for you have overcome it with victory. And so, Lord, right now we look for a foretaste of glory divine. We look forward to seeing you, abiding in you, and being with you for all of eternity. We look forward to seeing those who have gone before us again. Lord, we know that there's going to be a day where we dine at the banquet table of the Lord. We know there's going to be a day where we enjoy uh, many of the things that we are longing for. And so, Lord, until that day, would you position our hearts towards you. May we be faithful to you. May we love you with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, with all of our minds, with all of our soul. And, Lord, may we just begin preparing for the final purposes of the end of the age. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.